could you be this morning? I'm seeing Snickers, and I'm seeing some wives doing that. I'm not sure what that's for. Was your husband a bear this morning? Thank you. What, what, what animal would you be? Now, if I had middle schoolers right now, they'd be yelling out what animal they'd be, right? What animal would you be? Don't you think it's kind of interesting that you do not go to the circus and ever see a dancing sheep? We see the elephants dance. We see the lions and tigers do things. You don't ever see really a sheep do anything. Why? Because here's the attributes of a sheep. Stupid and stubborn. A sheep. Now, some reason, as followers of Christ, as believers, as Christians, we have this picture of a sheep, and it's always fluffy and cute, and they always have a picture in the Christian bookstore that's by a, lamb, by a lion, you know, the lamb and the lions right there. And so we always think of it as being kind of this really cute little surreal sheep. But if you really think about it, stupid and stubborn, I've never seen one that's really like a trained sheep that's never at the circus. They, they always have elephants, they have monkeys, but never sheep. Sheep are dirty and wayward if you've actually ever been around them. And by the way, they have a horrific smell if they've not uh, been shaven at that point. Have you ever been, have you ever smelled it? It's, they're really bad. Bad B.O. Bad. They are, listen to this, they're easily frightened and confused. In fact, a lot of times when they're in mountainous areas, they sometimes plunge off a cliff because of their fear and confusion if they get struggle. And then, by the way, other ones follow them. Really smart animals. Defenseless and dependent. They need guidance and they need protection. And then, though, it's probably not too complimentary to the sheep. Who does this sound like? We are sinful, we are obstinate, we are rebellious, and many times we are foolish. And that's us as humans. But isn't it awesome that what God gave us was his son, Jesus, the good shepherd, to be able to guide us, to be able to protect us, to be able to help us and, and to show us where we need to be. So if you have your scripture, it's also on the back of your worship guide. You can read it uh, from there as well. And we'll go through uh, 16. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. 
Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and find good pasture. The thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. So the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he is working only for the money and he doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in the sheepfold. I will bring them in also. They will listen to my voice and there, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. What do we need to know about the fruit of the Spirit goodness? What we need to know, you guys, is that Jesus is the good shepherd. And he tells us that through him that we can know better things and better pastures and understand the things of God. In fact, he tells us that he is the only way. He uses the reference, he is the gatekeeper. So if you were putting notes in there, but number one, and by the way, I didn't give you an outline today because when Brady and I preach and do music together, we're not sure who's going to go long or short. So we just let the Spirit kind of go with us. So you have number one point today, and if I get done quick enough, you get to come back up and do more worship, which I'm really excited about, Brady, because I love you when you do worship with us. It's awesome. So the first one is the gate to the sheepfold. What does that mean? He is the only way. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but, but, but by what? But by me. No one comes to the Father. Now listen, in this day and time, I understand that we're supposed to be tolerant. We're supposed to be caring for other people that don't believe like us. But let me tell you the truth about what God says about his son, Jesus. He is the only way that the fellowship is going to be restored. And that's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only way our relationship is restored to God the Father. That sin happened with Adam and Eve, and it's carried along, and that's the nature that lives within us until we come to that place of salvation, of whatever word you want to use to, to come to the encounter and the place where you are convicted of the sin that is in your life, in my life, and we come to that conclusion that we need Jesus and that he's the way that we are restored to the right kind of fellowship with God the Father. And he says, I am the gatekeeper. He is the gate to the sheepfold. He's the only way in. John 14, 6, by the way, is that reference. And he says that if you come in, you'll find pasture. You'll find abundant life. But what does the thief come to do? He comes to steal and what? Kill and destroy. That's what the thief comes to do. And if he can't, by the way, have your soul this morning if he can't have you because you have this personal relationship with Christ then the next best thing that he tries to do is make you and I ineffective as followers of Christ because who's watching others are watching the world's watching your neighbors are watching your own family's watching so what does satan try to do he tries to destroy us he he tries to destroy relationships he tries to destroy husbands and wives. He tries to destroy families. 
He tries to make conflict happen between sons and, and dads and, and daughters and dads and moms. And he causes conflict. And then if he can't get that angle, then he'll try another angle, maybe at work. He will do anything possible to find our weakness to try to destroy us. And please don't sit here this morning and not recognize that he will do anything and everything to try to take us down because that is what Satan does. However he can destroy you and I is what he's trying to do. Second thing, the good shepherd knows his sheep. It's an intimate knowledge. We want to be known. Most of us want these intimate relationships. Even if we're bashful, even if we're not the extrovert and all those kind of things, we want relationship and we need relationship. It's how God created us. We're all different, but we need relationship. And he says that, that there's an intimate relationship that's needed. In fact, we see it in John 15 because he talks about the branch and the vine. And that if we're directly connected, and you guys are going to hear me harp on it for the rest of the days of, of however long y'all let me be your pastor. If this relationship with, with God the Father is correct through Jesus, then the relationship that we have with each other is going to be correct. Because he, he is the vine. And we are the branch. And so he says that if we have that intimate relationship with him, then we will understand that he knows us. And he gives us a couple examples. Out of John 1.42, he said that he knew Simon. He walked up on the boats and he actually called Simon out and told Simon who he was. And Simon's kind of going like, how do you know that? There's an intimacy that takes place. And then he did that same thing with Zacchaeus. He told Zacchaeus to come down. We're going to go to your house. Y'all remember that little song, anybody? He had an intimate relationship with him. And by the way, he desires an intimate relationship with you and me. And when we have that intimate relationship with him, just like you guys are doing in Young Life by coming up here and studying the word and getting the habit of being in God's word, when you get to know him that way, you get to know how he thinks and what he desires. And it's amazing what happens in your relationship. As soon as I found out the kind of movies that Elizabeth didn't like to go to, then we started having fun going to the movies. As soon as I found out that she didn't eat a certain kind of food, even though I liked it, her stomach wouldn't be upset later. As soon as I found out that there are only certain times that she really likes flowers, I was good to go. And why wouldn't I want to do that for her? Why would I want to take her to a restaurant where later she goes, I feel sick? Why would I want to take her to a movie where we're not having fun enjoying the movie and be able to talk about it later and the details of all the craziness that happens in that movie? Why would I want to do that? And Jesus is the same way with you and I, that he desires that intimacy and he desires for us to know him and to understand him. So the good shepherd knows his sheep. And by the way, if he knows his sheep, then he knows how you and I think. And he knows our nature. He knows how we, um, how we want to do this. And how we're going to react to that. Because he's God and he knows his sheep. 
And so he knows my nature and he knows Elizabeth's nature and he knew that together we would be better as a married couple to be effective for him if we follow him and do what he desires for us to do. And so he placed Elizabeth and I in each other's life. I like to describe it as because I'm a little bit older than her that he, he understood my immaturity and he knew her maturity and so he brought us together so that I could be made complete. Well, thank you for that courtesy laugh life. At least one of you are awake this morning. He knows our nature. While all sheep are alike in the fundamental nature, each sheep has its own distinctive characters. Each one of us have our own distinctive characters. The loving shepherd recognizes those and he deals with each one differently, yet with the same type of love. And he did that with 12 men that he had around him. The disciples were not all the same. They were all different. One was a tax collector by trade. One was a fisherman. One was a doctor. All of them were different. And he knew how to deal with them in the same type of love, but understanding their personalities and who they were and how to respond to them. Right? He does the same for us. He knows their nature. So if he knows the nature of each one of us, then he also understands this. He also understands the needs of each one of us today. Listen, I don't pretend to be up here and ask you guys, hey, think of something good that happened this week because for some of us, this was a bad week. For some of us, things weren't so good. Right? There's tough things that are going on in people's lives in here. And so when we try to say, well, if he, if he knows me and he understands, then why would he be doing this? Because he understands who you are. And he understands what your threshold of trusting him is. And he tells us, just like the old Bible song that we probably remembered when we were little kids, that when, when we are weak, he is what? He's strong. But we want to be strong. We want to be able to handle this. We want to be able to control this. But there's things in our lives that, that we can't control. And there's things in our lives that we can't fix. And there's things in our lives when we, when we put them on, on our diagram that, that just it doesn't seem to work out quite like we want it. Because isn't there enough things in life that, that just seem to be a curveball? At our church, for everybody that gets married, at least through our ministers, we require premarital counseling. And, and the statistics that show that people that have premarital counseling uh, is like 88 to 92 percent uh, still being married. And then it drops down into 30 percent of those who do not go through premarital counseling that, that have difficulties in their marriage and end up in divorce. You go like, well, why does just talking about marriage before marriage happened. Well, one, it gives you a good option to back out because you've got somebody to be objective and to tell you, hey, you've got a problem and you've got a problem and you aren't meeting. So you have somebody objective. But the other thing it does is it lets you be ready for the things that are going to come up. Well, how many of your kids? Well, I want 10 kids and she wanted two. There's going to be a little struggle at some point. Well, where are we spending Christmas? Hello? right? Well, we're just going to alternate. Well, what if your parents don't want you to alternate? We've always gone to our house for Christmas. Okay. Husbands, wives, y'all know what I'm talking about? And then, and then at Thanksgiving, we're having to decide for Christmas. 
Mom's putting pressure on me. She's saying, where are we going? So premarital helps you to think about those things before you get married so that you have an idea how to discuss, how to talk, how to come to some conclusion and resolve those before they happen. The same thing with us with our relationship with Christ is that that he knows our needs. In fact, let me just ask this question. Which came first, the supply or the need? You see, God is as God in heaven, and he said that he knew us before we were even in our, in, in our mom's womb. And he knew exactly what the need was in your life before it ever came up. And so he allows for a need to happen in my and your life so that he can do what? He wants a relationship with us. So what does he do? He allows for the need to happen so that you and I will get close to him by having a relationship with him. And sometimes if there wasn't a need, we would just think we could figure it out by ourselves, and we make our own conclusion, our own decision about it. And then we check off like, hey, look what I did. I didn't even need God today on that. Where the very thing that we need the most is Him and His conclusion of what's best for us. And that's why when we spend time with Him, when we spend time in His Word and we're having fellowship with Him, that that, that becomes part of how we think. Well, what would, what would God do? What would He want for my family? What would He desire for me? How would He respond to me doing this or me doing that. It's pretty trendy, but there was those little bracelets back in the day that said WWJD. What would Jesus do? And I came in conclusion after a couple times of arguing with referees and playing intramurals that maybe I shouldn't wear that. (laughs) Because I wasn't representing Jesus very well. And some of you need to take those fishes off your car because you're not representing Jesus very well. Or at least if we're going to have them, let it be some sort of honk if you, something about Jesus, so we can honk at people and get away with it, you know? Make it something that's enjoyable. He knows our nature. He understands us. He understands what we need. This is, uh, this is from Philip Keller. It's a book that we used in the journey. If you hadn't heard some of the some of the things that you'll hear up here from, uh, from me and Greg is, is talking about the journey in a Bible study that we offered our church. And so one of the books from the journey is by Philip Keller, and it's called A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. And if you've ever read the 23rd Psalm, it's all about being, it's about a shepherd and a sheep and, and where they go and what that looks like and how it functions. And, and it's an incredible, it's an incredible view of God. But this is coming from a guy who was an actual shepherd. So many times when I would read something about the good shepherd, or I'd read the Psalm 23, I'd you know, get it in context, and I'd go like, okay, I'm a sheep, I get it. But I didn't have a real understanding. So this book by Philip Keller really goes into the details because he was a shepherd. This is what he did. So let me take a little excerpt of that and tell you what it says. He said, when it's all said and done, the welfare of any flock is entirely dependent upon the management afforded them by their owner. The tenant sheepman on the farm next to my first ranch was almost as indifferent as anybody I'd ever met. He was not concerned about the condition of his sheep. His land was neglected. He gave little or no time to his flock, letting them pretty well forage for themselves as they best they could, both in summertime and the winter. They fell prey to dogs, cougars, rustlers, 
Every year, these poor creatures were first were forced to gnaw away at brown fields and impoverished pastures. Every winter, there was a shortage in the of, there was a shortage of, nurse, of nourishing hay and wholesome grain to feed the hungry sheep. Shelter to safeguard and protect the suffering sheep from storms and blizzards were inadequate. They had only polluted and muddy water to drink. They had been a, there had been a lack of salt and other minerals needed to offset their sickly pastures. In their thin, weak, and diseased condition, these poor sheep were a pathetic sight. In my mind's eye, I can still see them standing at the fence, huddled sadly in little knots, staring wishfully through the wires at the rich pastures just on the other side of them. To all their distress, their heartless, their selfish owner seemed utterly calloused and indifferent. He simply didn't care. What if his sheep did want green grass? What if they did want fresh water and shade and, sh and safety and shelter from the storms? What if they wanted relief from their wounds, their bruises, their disease, and the parasites? He ignored their needs. He couldn't care less. Why should he, by the way, they were just sheep, fit only for a slaughterhouse? I never looked at those poor sheep without an acute awareness that there was a precise picture of those wretched old taskmasters, sin and Satan, and their derelict ranch scoffing at the plight of those within their power, because that is exactly what sin and Satan wants to do to us. You see, that is what the devil tries to do with us. He tries to keep us from the good pastures. He doesn't give us the best water. He's not there to protect us. In fact, according to the scripture, he's there to kill and destroy. But if you're a real shepherd, then you love your flock. It's not about the hireling. It's not about the guy who just takes care of the flock so he can get the money. It's that he really cares about each sheep. And he knows each sheep. And he knows kind of what they want and how they function and what they do. In pastures by water or in the valley, the sheep need not fear because the shepherd, a real shepherd, is caring for them. As the shepherd cares for the sheep, the sheep gets to know the shepherd better. The third thing, the good shepherd leads his sheep. Sheep know the voice of the shepherd, and they follow only his voice. Now, I only have context of a dog. I don't have a sheep. don't have one anywhere around. But I can tell you that my kids can tell the dog to get in or out of the house. My wife can tell the dog to get in or out of the house. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But for some reason, and I love animals, but for some reason when my voice tells the dog to get out of the house or tells the dog to come in the house, guess what the dog does? I mean, like that. Knows my voice. Do you know 
the voice of the good shepherd this morning. And that's what he brings us to, is that a real, a real shepherd, the sheep will know his voice. And it says when the stranger comes, remember this from the scripture, when the stranger comes and he doesn't know their voice, what will they do? Do they walk away and kind of, oh, I wonder if that, it says they run because they don't recognize the voice. Is your relationship this morning intimate enough with, with our creator that you would know his voice, but also that you would know the voice of the enemy, that you would run from it? You see, he's subtle. And he does want to deceive us. And he wants to trick us. And by the way, that, that thing called sin, if sin wasn't fun, would any of us would any of us do it in the first place? Hey, sin is fun. But according to the scripture, it only lasts, what, a season. So he deceives us. He entices us. He tells us lies. He does whatever it takes to get us away from the good shepherd. The fourth thing, the good shepherd protects his sheep. He is the sacrificial shepherd. He places himself between his sheep and any of the tacks. And what you would see from this book about a shepherd's life, the 23rd Psalm, is that the shepherd would place himself between his sheep and harm's way. So if it was between him and the cliff, he would put himself the cliff. If it was between him and the mountain lions or the cougars, then he would place himself strategically in between the sheep and what the danger would be. That is the picture of what Jesus does for us. Whatever you're going through this morning, whatever you've been through, Jesus understands. He understands the frustration. He understands the pain. He understands the damage. He understands what you and I go through because he was God in the human form. When he was nailed to the cross, he felt physical pain the same way that you and I would feel physical pain. When he was nailed to the cross and looking out over the crowds, he understood the emotional pain because he was human. He understands what you and I go through. The good shepherd protects his sheep. And you have the shepherd versus a hired hand. And William Barclay says about the gospel of John, a real shepherd was born to his task. He was sent out with the flock as soon as he was old enough to go. The sheep become his friends and his companions, and it became second nature to think of them before he thought of himself. Now listen to this in the context of Jesus. Jesus is motivated by love, not selfish gain. What did he have to gain by giving his life? He's motivated by love, by the relationship, by the companionship of you and I. That's what he is motivated by love. And by the way, his mercy and his grace is so sufficient. He goes to the extreme to say how much 
sufficiency he is because he gave his life for us. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he cares. Well, Jonathan, you don't understand the sin or, or the things that entangle me or the things that I struggle with. I might not humanly, but God does. And through his son, that gift of his son, Jesus understands what entangles you. Jesus understands that. And he says, I love you so much that I gave my life for you and I forgive you of those sins. And by the way, he knows the exact time and in place that that will come to the realization that we're forgiven of that sin at wherever you're at this morning and some of us we were young when we said I, I accept that forgiveness of sin but then all of a sudden we got caught up in our teenage years or our college years and we did things we never thought we would do why because sin always takes us farther than we ever thought we would go and it always gets us to do things that we never thought we would do and yet he says I forgive you. It's about love. And Jesus said this, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends, his companions. Out of Luke 15, 3-7, it tells us that sheep are prone to wander and often they're searched for and brought back to the flock by Jesus. Y'all have heard me say this before, but this is how much Jesus loves us. That if one sheep were to get away from the flock, then he would go search for that sheep. And the way that he made sure, once he found that sheep, the way that he made sure that that sheep would be dependent on him is that he would do a very difficult thing and the shepherd would break the leg of that sheep. And when he would break the leg of that sheep, the sheep couldn't walk anymore. So what did the sheep have to do? He had to depend upon the master, the shepherd. And the, and the shepherd would take that sheep and he would put him around his neck and he would walk him back to safety and he would take care of the sheep by feeding it and nourishing it and doing all that it had to do until it was at a place of being able to walk again. Because the sheep was totally dependent upon what? The shepherd. And for a lot of us, sometimes we have to get our leg broken to get to the place where we're really depending upon the shepherd the way we should. Hey, it'd be great if we didn't. But most of us are a little stubborn, a little obstinate, kind of want to do it our way. But he loves us so much that he would go search for us wherever we're at. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your shepherd, Jesus. That, Lord, his desire is to protect us, to lead us. That he knows us, he understands where we are and what we're about. And, Lord, he's motivated by love. He's not motivated by selfish gain. And, Lord, wherever we're at this morning, could we rest in the fact that you are the good shepherd and that, Lord, according to your scripture, you tell us that the fruit of the Spirit is goodness and that, Lord, when we're directly connected to you in that way, that that goodness will come out of us and it will give you glory. So, Lord, whatever we have going on in our lives this morning, can we just look to you right now And understand that you have a purpose and you have a plan for our life. 
and that, Lord, you are the good shepherd, and that we can trust you because you know us, and you are able, Lord, to do the things that you say through Scripture. May we have that faith to trust you in all that's going on with us, and may we reflect on that in the in the moments of this song, and may we give you praise and honor and glory through that. And Lord, may we respond just by singing our hearts to you in the purpose of wanting you to be our shepherd and to guide us and that we would be dependent on you first.